It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. This is going to be such an exciting and edifying episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. Why? Because we're going to be focusing on one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.9 declares, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a fantastic verse. Four names are given to the people of God in that one single verse. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and his own special people. But let's focus on the first one, a chosen generation. First, the mystery of the matter. That was spoken back in the first century by the Apostle Peter, and yet he's still referring to people up in the 21st century, around 2,000 years later. How can all of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, spanning that 2,000-year-long period, be part of the same generation? Well, what is a generation signified by? Two things. Number one, people who can claim the same parents, or number two, people who are part of the same era or the same age, like the X generation or the hippie generation. They're part of the same era or the same age. Well, we qualify in both those points because all born-again believers from the beginning of this age to the end of this age of grace can claim the same parent. We're all born of God, and he is our father, so we're part of the same generation just on the basis of that. However, we are also part of the same era. It is a glorious and wonderful era where grace is the means of our salvation, which is unmerited love coming from God toward us. It's not religiously earned. It is graciously given. Praise God for that. Now, there are several scriptures that talk about this word generation in a new covenant sense that we need to inspect. For instance, let's go to Psalm 22. That is a psalm that graphically describes the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It even starts out with the last statement he made on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It includes statements like, They pierced my hands and my feet. And then toward the end of the psalm, it says, A seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. That's the King James Version of that verse. A seed shall serve him. Serve who? The one who cries, my God, why have you forsaken me? They pierced my hands and my feet. There will be a generation of people 
that will span hundreds of years, that will serve him, that will love him, that will be devoted to him. And that's why that verse said, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. We're all born of God. We're all part of the same age of grace. And then Isaiah 53 is also a chapter that describes the crucifixion of the Son of God. In the beginning verses, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And then in verse 7 and 8, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now here's the key verse, verse 8 of Isaiah 53. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Let's go back to verse 8 that said, who shall declare his generation? In other words, he's being cut off from the land of the living. Who is going to declare his heirs, those who can trace their lineage back to him? who have inherited what he has to give, who will declare his generation. Well, let's go to verse 10 of the same chapter. It says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. In other words, when he was on the cross, when his soul was made an offering for sin, he knew that in the future, it would result in a family of God being brought to birth in this world. A generation, a generation that will declare his glory and his greatness. Praise God. Now let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. And the four titles that were given there were referred to as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and his own special people. I think it's really interesting to see the verses prior to that. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 3 says, if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, then you also as living stones are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So those verses describe the Lord Jesus Christ as being rejected by men, but selected by God. That's okay because in the next part of that scripture, it says that we are chosen by God. We're a chosen generation. But we also quite often are rejected by men. But if we're rejected by people yet selected by God, that's okay. I would rather be in this number of those who are oppressed and afflicted and embattled by the enemy, Satan and all his hosts of demons, and under attack by a world that does not hold to biblical values, 
sure, at times we may feel like we're picked out for persecution, but I'm glad to be in this number, rejected by others, selected by God. That's okay. Now, let me ask this question. If we are a chosen generation, how does God choose us? What's the prerequisite? What's the requirement? What leads up to that? Well, God chooses two ways, and this is very important, so don't miss it. God chooses two ways. Number one, God chooses sometimes to reveal himself to people, whether they request it or not. And we'll get to a prime example in a little while. Saul, later to be known as Paul the Apostle, was certainly not asking for an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was doing everything he could to stamp out Christianity. But number one, sometimes God chooses to reveal himself to certain individuals, whether they request it or not. But number two, God chooses to receive others at their request. However, all are part of the chosen Whatever process brings them into that group of people selected by God, still they are numbered among the chosen. And Israel itself is a great example. Israel is referred to as God's quote-unquote chosen people. When did he choose them? He chose them in the furnace of affliction, the Bible said, in Egypt, where they were in torturous living conditions as slaves. Sometimes you may wonder, why am I going through this? Why am I tortured by life? This stuff I face mentally and emotionally and these heartbreaking things from the past, and yet God chooses people in the furnace of affliction. He chooses you in a place that burns the dross out of your heart so that you incline your heart toward him. But there were really two kinds of people that God brought out of Egypt. And they were all part of his chosen. There were the literal seed of Abraham, the offspring who could trace their lineage back to that patriarch in the Bible. They were selected by God, whether they requested it or not. Then there was a mixed multitude of Gentiles who aligned themselves with the children of Israel, believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and left Egypt's bondage with them. They ate of the same manna that came from heaven, drank of the same water that flowed out of the rock, and they were kept by the same God who appeared above them as a cloud by day and a fire by night. But they made the choice to come to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they were still among the chosen. God reveals himself to some people, whether they request it or not, and others he receives at their request, but all are among the chosen. I love Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6, 7, and 8. And this is talking about Israel, but it overflows to you, and it overflows to me. God says, you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and holy simply means separated from the world consecrated to God, and cleansed from defilement. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. 
the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. That's the bottom line motivation on God's part. God loves you. And he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And because he loves you, he chooses you. Just like many of you were married because you decided you loved someone. And in loving them, you chose that person to be a covenant partner the rest of your life, a husband or a wife under the blessed covenant of marriage. You chose that person out of a motivation of love. And God does the same for those who are included in his bride. Now let me ask the question, who does God choose? Who does God choose? How does he look through the world and pick out those that he will select for salvation and for an intimate relationship with himself? This may surprise you. Paul wrote a church full of whodunits, <laughs> people that were of questionable past, people that had come out of some real deep darkness and corruption. You can read the list of sins that he said they were once guilty of, the Corinthian church, and listen to what Paul said to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26, 27, 28, and 29. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I like that last line, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God's chosen the foolish things of the world, the weak things, the base things, the despised things. I guess that's a group of people you could call the quote-unquote deplorables, like many conservative people were named by a recent politician running for the office of president. I won't mention the name. She called us the deplorables. Well, many of those that would be placed in that category by human beings are placed in a different category by God if they happen to be among those who are born again and blood washed. And yes, we embrace conservative values because we love what God loves and we hate what God hates. We don't hate people, but we hate the sin that is so rampant in the human race. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, to put to shame the wise, because some of the most intellectual people that embrace atheism look down condescendingly on those who believe in creationism. But we know the creator, and I would much rather have their scorn and his favor and grace. It's so much better than what the world can give. God chooses the things that are weak 
to put to shame the things that are mighty, some of the individuals that are the most recognized, the most revered, the most admired in this world as the greatest examples of world changers, and yet they have ungodly values or anti-biblical stances, may look at Christians and think, what a shameful group of people. They aren't among the woke, among those who see things as they really are. Oh, yes, we see things as they really are, because we see things from God's perspective. And not just these megatrends that go through society that seemingly are so important that bring such change to our culture. And sometimes they're good. Sometimes they have elements of goodness mixed in with elements of badness. I'm not going to go into all of that, but what I am going to go into is that God has a select people, a chosen people in the world that don't always fit with the status quo. Their ridiculers don't realize what a blessed group of people they really are. Now, who does God choose? Again, you just can't put your finger on it at all. You can't look at somebody in their present state of ungodliness and say, God would never move for that person. Then you would probably be among those that looked at Saul and said, that one's unsavable. And yet when he was on the road to Damascus to persecute those who called on the name of the Lord, there was a blinding flash of supernatural light and he fell to the ground and said, who are you, Lord? And the Messiah responded, I am Jesus whom you persecute, but arise on your feet, go to a street called Straight. And then God spoke to Ananias about Saul and told him to go and lay hands on him and pray for him that he would be healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And God's explanation was, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Wow, a chosen vessel? And he's murdering Christians? You never know who God's going to put his hand on. So don't write anybody off. Keep praying, just like the church was praying in that day. And I'm sure they were praying for Saul. And I'm sure God answered in a supernatural way. Don't write anybody off. You'd be surprised who God's going to move for. He moved for me, and I was promoting false religions. Prior to that, I was a rock musician. I was a teacher of yoga and meditation at four universities and promoting Hindu ideas and Buddhist ideas, and hundreds of people were following my teachings in four universities in that area. And then God had a group of people that started praying for me, and in one day's time, everything changed. And instead of promoting false doctrine, I began promoting biblical truth, shut down my yoga ashram, closed all of my classes and told them Jesus is the only way. And that was back in 1970. I was a chosen vessel. It was all miraculous the way God brought me in. And God still works that way. Now, let me ask two more questions and give you my final conclusion. The first question is, when did God choose you? Did God choose you the day you were saved did God choose you the day you were born? Or 
Are neither of those statements true? The latter expression is correct. Neither of those statements are true. And Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 takes us much further back in time. Those two verses say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now listen to the next part. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. First of all, you were chosen in him. You were chosen in Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ was chosen to be the champion of salvation in a world that would yet be a fallen and dark place, you were chosen in him. You were part of the plan that included the Messiah and included you. And you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Before there was a planet called Earth, spinning on its axis before there was a Milky Way galaxy swirling around its core and hurtling through space at over a million miles an hour, before God put this cosmos together, you were in the mind of God and he chose you. And one of the most important points I can make is this. If he chose you before the world was, he can certainly keep you and preserve you on your journey to what the world will be when there's a new heaven and a new earth. How should we react to all this? What should we do? How should we view ourselves? I believe one of my favorite verses in this area is John fifteen sixteen, where Jesus spoke to his followers and said, you have not chosen me but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Isn't that so beautiful? It makes me want to cry tears of gratitude. You have not chosen me. Well, I did say Jesus come into my heart. But he's balancing it out. He's saying it wasn't just a decision you made by the power of your own human will because you decided to be a better person. It was God's way of saying, I gave you the grace. I was the author of your faith. I planned within you the capacity of believing. So it wasn't just a decision you made. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. I've put your life in divine order that you should go and bring forth fruit. Praise God for that. Well, that's the way we should react. If you're chosen, if I'm chosen, let's get about the Father's business and bring forth fruit while we're in this world. Let me conclude with Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Not only is this choosing of God for your sake, this choosing of God is for his sake. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That meant the literal nation of Israel in the Old Testament, but the nation that spans every culture and people and tongue in the New Testament made up of all born-again believers. We are all grafted into the Israel of God. 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen, not only to receive an inheritance from him, but Psalm 33, 12 says the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. He chose you to create a bride to whom he would be married and completed and fulfilled by for all eternity. We are called to be married to him in a rapturous covenant relationship that will not only fill our hearts and bring us to completion, but by his own choosing, it will fill up his heart and bring him to completion by having a people that he can express his love to for all eternity. That's why he has chosen you. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.